0: Good afternoon everyone, Uh, this this is Jonathan Blaine, I'm from DFDL and I'll be your moderator for today. We want to thank everyone for joining this uh, third session of three uh, uh, sessions that we're holding, uh, dealing with uh, responding to uncertainties in Thailand uh, under COVID and trying to remain resilient under COVID-19. As everyone's aware, COVID has been quite devastating economically over the last uh, 18 months or so. Um, This third session is going to focus mainly on real estate and real estate restructuring and potentially real estate insolvency. Our guest speaker today is Paul Volodarstie. He's actually the head of our real estate, uh, sorry, the deputy head, I should say, of the real estate, giving you a little bit of a promotion there. (laughs) He's the deputy head of our real estate uh, uh, and construction practice. Um, And as I mentioned a moment ago, he uh, wears the hat regionally. Uh, to a large extent, he's based here in Bangkok. He spent quite a bit of time in Vietnam, also, uh, and does quite a bit of work still in the Vietnam space. Um, part of what he does, also from you know regional real estate, etc., is going to be uh, a big portion of that. Is not just uh, investment real estate, but also hospitality uh, and and those kind of uh, and that kind of industry. So they all sort of fall under that that rubric. Okay, so Paul. Um, uh, I think if you're good to sort of drop us into the discussions, I think what I want to focus on first is um, what kind of legal changes uh, have there been in Thailand that sort of uh, affect restructuring or, or insolvency matters when it comes to the real estate sector. Um, some of them may have been previous to COVID, but if there are also some reforms or other issues that have come uh, specifically because of COVID, if you could highlight those, that might be quite helpful.
1: Sure. Thank you very much, Jonathan, for the uh, introduction. Um, in terms of legal changes in Thailand, there were a number of changes that actually went into effect just before uh, the COVID-19 crisis, which affected the restructuring in relation to uh, Thai real estate. Um, in particular, there was amendments to the Bankruptcy Act. There was also the uh, passage of a new regulation covering uh basically the more the the a means of registering a mortgage over leased property uh, which is something that's relatively new There's a lot of countries in uh, Southeast Asia that already have this kind of concept of land use rights versus just leasing um, in which those land use rights can be mortgaged and that's something that uh, recently came into effect. Uh, just around the time that we were experiencing the COVID crisis. For the bankruptcy rules, these were additional types of secured creditors. So historically, secured creditors had been uh, creditors that had registered their rights over particular assets of a company, uh, but now they've also allowed for the securing of rights over the income of a company as another type of secured creditor. So these types of things have influenced how people look at uh, commodifying their real estate assets in Thailand, especially from a restructuring perspective. Uh, The other issues that have come up post-COVID are more uh, practical issues in terms of enforcement of mortgages uh, for non-payment. So in Thailand, there has been, I would say, some efforts to avoid foreclosure of properties, both from a legal perspective and also from a political perspective during the COVID-19 crisis, which is ongoing in Thailand, as, as I'm sure our attendees are aware. Uh, and that has been something that we follow quite closely to see how that's going to ultimately develop. Um, and I think that that sums up some of the the key legal changes that have occurred uh, over the last uh, year and a half uh, relating to COVID-19, but also, uh, legal uh, changes that came into effect prior to COVID-19 that affect this sector.
0: And with those modifications in mind, even separately, what kind of legal limitations are there that uh, uh, real estate developers going through like a, a restructuring exercise might face?
1: So if they're going through a restructuring exercise, the first issue is the ability to sell your assets. So if you're going through a restructuring and you're going through a bankruptcy, there's oftentimes a toll put on the sale of assets. There's even a Supreme Court decision in Thailand, which says that the sale of land or property uh, does not count as the normal course of business for a company going through a restructuring exercise. So that can severely affect the way that a rehabilitation is conducted by that company. The other uh, limitations to think about is that, as in most jurisdictions, you don't have to file as an entity uh, to go into bankruptcy yourself. You can be forced into bankruptcy proceedings by a creditor, in which case that uh, limits your ability to then look at the assets that you have in order to try to satisfy those debts. If you've already got a bankruptcy proceeding in, in progress, if it hasn't been dismissed and you haven't gotten permission from the courts to sell off any assets, then you're going to be stuck with those assets and you may be forced to close down the company. If you can't come up with a plan to pay back those creditors that have put you into a bankruptcy scenario, another uh, limitation is, is just going to be from a more practical perspective. Uh, if you're going through a legal restructuring of your, of your company, you're oftentimes going to be subject to oversight, meaning that the board of directors of the entity is not going to be able to make independent decisions without getting sign-off uh, from, from the parties that are appointed to oversee the transactions. So for real estate in particular, that can become problematic, especially for, for instance, a real estate developer engaged in residential property. If you're going through a process of selling off your condominium units or a residential housing development, that could be severely limited by a rehabilitation proceeding. And we've seen a couple of companies over the last year that have gone through this process and lots of potential buyers who have not been transferred ownership of their property now looking at how do they secure their their rights against the assets and trying to get the, the assets that are complete to be transferred. This is something that can be quite tricky and then costly for a real estate developer that isn't aware of these restrictions or maybe facing some uncertainty, even if they're not at the point of filing for a restructuring or rehabilitation exercise.
0: Okay, that's very, that's very helpful to know. Um, About, um, uh, just just to shift gears a little bit from sort of the technical background, um, curious as to what you are on the ground Intel is as far as um, whether we've seen a lot of activity, uh, a lot of restructuring activity in the real estate sector or, or what have you sort of, you know, you're sort of in the front lines, as we say. So what are you? What kind of information have you been able to pull out of the markets?
1: So from, from our perspective, there's been a lot of uh, restructuring exercises, not necessarily tied to an insolvency scenario. So a lot of entities have looked at the COVID-19 crisis as an opportunity to start look at refinancing their transactions, either restructuring uh, how they're operating their entity, bringing in additional partners that may be looking at opportunities in the market that have opened up because of COVID-19. So we've seen a lot of activity in this space. With that said, there are also a lot of uh, transactions that are more quiet, Uh, which are more related to a distressed scenario. So we have seen a number of uh, especially foreign investment looking at opportunities because of distressed assets, especially affected sectors like hospitality, the industrial sector, residential, looking at opportunities and, and therefore looking at restructuring opportunities in Thailand. Uh, but we've also seen distressed uh, developers that are just looking to offload assets in order to avoid an insolvency scenario. So you've seen uh, from bigger companies to small companies are, are looking to offload existing assets to avoid an insolvency scenario simply because of the, the reduced tourism, the reduced investment in the market uh, because of COVID.
0: On a separate point, we sort of didn't raise this in one of the questions but are are what are valuations looking like are is there any <laughs> uh, are there good valuations or is everything sort of being propped up so it depends
1: on what do you say good valuations i would I would say for who uh, <laughs> right. there the valuations in the market are very different from twenty nineteen. But with that said, there is a huge disconnect between investor expectations and property owners that are looking to sell or otherwise restructure their real estate assets. Mm -hmm. So we see a a very big difference between the expectations. Uh, There are more opportunities starting to come online, So, so for some properties which are now struggling into year, you know, going into almost year two of the struggle because in Thailand in particular, you had a lot of limitations uh, coming in basically at the end of 2019. So you had some struggle in the, in the residential real estate sector in 2019 that affected valuations. But uh, for investors right now, I think we're still a little ways off if you're looking for the bottom um, of the market for investors that are looking at opportunities and, and trying to get the best properties that are available now. It's probably a good time to start looking at the pricing. And what I would say is that oftentimes the price that you find from agencies uh, are the price that the owner wants to present and may not necessarily represent the price that an owner may accept. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, that's very helpful because I know valuations have been a big issue, so um, it's very helpful to get some insight on that. Um, as far as um, particular industries, have we seen any particular industries where real estate restructuring has been more focused?
1: So the, the industry that I think that's been most affected is, has been the residential real estate sector. And that's because they have more easily accessible assets that can be used to settle debts. So that's the industry that we've seen some insolvencies filed and some restructuring exercises being conducted. In the hospitality sector, there's a lot of interest, but there's still a big disconnect between owner expectations and investor expectations, uh, as we just talked about. Uh, We haven't seen a lot of insolvency issues with hotels, at least at this point. Um, And that I think is is somewhat connected to, you know, the willingness of banks to allow for financing to remain outstanding despite, uh, you know, being overdue simply because the banks don't necessarily want to take over an asset which is either underperforming or is unlikely to perform in the near term.
0: Yeah, So this sort of a- addresses one of the questions or one of the pre-questions we got from some people uh, in the audience or uh, as the audience is, um, you know, do Thai banks tend to tend to foreclose or tend to take over uh, hotel assets? And um, I think you have a particular perspective on this.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, th- <laughs> I think, as I mentioned, it's uh, it's not necessarily a palatable thing to do at the moment. So. Yeah. You know, hotel assets need to be maintained, you know, on an ongoing basis. They have large amounts of staff and under the current situation, I don't think that there is a near term prospect of returning those hotel assets to profitability. With that said, there are potential opportunities looking at, for instance, the sandbox scenario in Phuket and and Koh Samui that is likely to come into effect in the coming weeks. Uh, that may make these assets more interesting uh, and therefore may put pressure on owners to start paying back on their outstanding debts
0: okay um, if we can you know shift gears again a little bit and um, you know touch on sort of your your practical expertise or your practical experience what you're sort of seeing uh, you know it's not necessarily legal or statutory or, or, or market oriented but just really practice kind of issues that real estate developers in Thailand um, will run into or may encounter sort of the, the nuts and bolts kind of things that that, that that follow on the actual structuring process. So I'm wondering if you have any practical issues that, that they may face, like one or two or three that you've observed.
1: Sure, sure. I think from a practical perspective, there's a lot of issues relating to the type of financing that's available to, inf- to avoid an insolvency scenario. So I think... I mentioned a little bit earlier that we've seen a lot of investors looking at the Thai market and not just looking at hospitality, but looking at the industrial sector, the residential real estate sector to inject capital in order to get better uh, acquisition rights over assets. So for one, if you're looking at residential real estate, you're somewhat limited by the foreign ownership restrictions. So for an investor that's looking to enter Thailand you know, For a residential real estate project, there is no specific promotional category that allows for a foreign investor to own the majority of a residential real estate company. Uh, that is a, is a key issue. It also affects the way that you structure finance because you have, for instance, limitations on the interest rate that may be applicable on that type of finance transaction, such as in Thailand, it's being 15% being the maximum interest rate that can be applied, whereas that may not be of interest to a foreign investor looking to provide bridge or mezzanine finance for, for a project. Uh, for hotel assets, it's important just understanding whether or not the hotel asset is Board of Investment promoted, in which case it may be open to foreign investment uh, up to 100%, or if it's not, or if it's not BOI promoted, uh, looking at the limited ownership restrictions that you could have, in terms of trying to find that additional financing to avoid an insolvency scenario. And for industrial, it's much more open. Uh, A lot of industrial projects are are much more open to foreign investment. And so it's still important to check to understand that industrial aspect um, and to understand the the assets that are available for the sale. Uh, I think industrial real estate is, is something that's starting to pick up in Thailand as an early indicator of recovery. Uh, more so than the hospitality sector, I think for residential, it's been uh, selling off existing stock and trying to avoid creating new debts.
0: Uh, yeah. For
1: industrial, it's the cost of, of industrial leases is dropping because of COVID, and therefore there's opportunities for investors that are looking to look to acquire industrial land and, and generate income from that from that kind of business, particularly logistics um, as as part of the e-commerce uh, developments in Thailand.
0: So actually, this sort of segues quite nicely into our sort of last topic, and that is what is, our, what is our outlook for the sector for the remainder of the year? We're already half done, right, as of today, so we've got only six months left. So curious as to whether you can pull out your crystal ball and figure out what's going to happen from now until December.
1: Sure. I mean, uh, I-, I wish <laughs> I could say for sure what was going to happen, but based on what we've seen so far this year, I think... Um, you know, We've seen a lot of increase of investment um, into Thailand, which was something that I was a bit surprised at noting the COVID situation. Uh, so I'm expecting that as the sandbox scheme starts to open up, you'll start to see some return of tourism, which should be a, a big boon on the economy. And I think you'll see much more interest in moving in, uh, in in the industrial sector in Thailand. So I don't think that we'll see a lot of new start construction or residential. Uh, Same for office, because for office leasing, there just isn't as as high of a demand. Uh, But for the industrial sector, uh, I think that that's going to be something that will grow quite quickly in Thailand, especially with companies looking to diversify their assets. So we've seen a lot of that move to Vietnam, but I've been hearing increasing interest in in also looking at uh, different industrial estates, especially the eastern seaboard of Thailand.
0: Okay, um, that sort of comes to the, the, the end of sort of the, the formal presentation process and the discussion process. So we wanted to open it up to, to Q&A. Um, as mentioned before, I think we had one question from Q&A, and that was about the uh, Thai banks foreclosing on hotel properties. And obviously, there's a little bit of uh, resistance to wanting to do that because of the. The expense associated with that, and of course, banks are banks; they're not real estate, they're not uh, hoteliers, right? So, you know, there's a, a, a bit of a an, uh, an intellectual challenge to, <laughs> for to try to manage a property. Uh, if they wanted to be in hotels, they'd be in hotels. Um, but I think uh, separately, another question we had is uh, to what extent uh, is non-payment of debt, and, and this is this is a really tough question, I think. Um, you know, to what extent, uh, can force majeure serve as, uh, an adequate, uh, defense to breach of contract under the debt? I guess it's a formalized way to say it, but to what extent can you rely on force majeure when you're not paying? And, uh, you know, what, what how, well, how much uptake is there in, in the courts and in other cases, uh, with, with allowing force majeure to be, uh, you know, uh, an adequate defense against the breach?
1: So I think for force majeure, it's, it's a big question mark at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't seen too many cases going forward uh, mm-hmm. claiming force majeure as an excuse for non-payment of the debt for real estate properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, there's a lot of considerations that need to be addressed when looking at making a claim for force majeure. So making sure that you understand whether or not the force majeure event is the reason why you are not capable of performing under the contract. So it's not enough to just say, well, COVID. Of course, COVID (laughs) uh, has been a huge impact on business, but it isn't enough necessarily to be the justification for non-performance. So if you are capable of operating your business, and COVID may have impacted that business, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is a force majeure event excusing your performance under the contract. So it'll be important to understand, for one, whether or not a pandemic is included in a force majeure clause. I think typically under the CCC, it would be included, uh, but that's something that could have been negotiated between the parties as to whether or not to accept that risk. The other uh, aspect of it is it's just a matter of tying the event to the non-performance. So if that event is, you know, if that non-performance is based upon, for instance, the government shutting down your business because of COVID, that may be a very strong argument to argue for a course of event. So if you're an industrial estate developer and you have, you know, a number of tenants that can't pay their rent because the government has shut down their sites. Uh, on the basis of a COVID outbreak, that may be considered a force majeure event. But not being able to bring in tourists, uh, or at least tourists of a sufficient volume, might be difficult for a hospitality owner to claim as a force majeure event, because technically, tourists can come to Thailand, except that the requirements to enter are now more onerous than they were before. And actually,
0: they... I think you and I were discussing this before. Actually, the hotels are able to uh, qualify for as quarantine quarantine hotels, right? So that gives them an option to actually make money uh, in the process. So it's not like the hotels have been specifically told you must close, period, right? So they have another avenue. So uh, again, so that justifying force majeure in that context may be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're coming up to the end of uh, our session here. I don't. I think we're quite quite far into the time. So I just want to take a moment to thank Paul for taking time out of his day uh, to come and present the information to us. I think you know there's the, the opportunities, the, the formalized processes, and then the sort of on the ground practical uh, things to be considered. I think are very useful and very helpful for everyone. Um, and with that, I think I want to thank everybody for taking time uh, out of your busy schedule to attend this session. If you have any questions or any follow up or, or, or anything that anybody in the firm can help you with, you know, please reach out to either Paul or myself or or anybody in the firm. And we'll be either able to help you ourselves or definitely be able to redirect you toward a resource that will be able to help uh, satisfy your, your, your needs and, and help you through the process. It's been a very challenging and difficult year and a half. Uh, It doesn't look like Thailand is going to get out of this hole any time within the next couple of months. So, um, uh, and the the government support, um, you know, they're they're doing the best they can. I I, I have to applaud them because they've actually done quite good in supporting a lot of businesses and, and minimizing some of the impact. But um, we'll see if they're able to to weather the storm or if it uh, takes over, and then we end up with a whole bunch of real estate uh, insolvencies and things like that on a go forward basis.